Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, If you're a guest, welcome. We are um, going through Ephesians 6, looking at um, how God outfits us for the challenges of life. The idea behind the the phrasing, outfitted, was that this is a passage that tells us how we can be outfitted, equipped, to face the challenges of life. The central metaphor of this passage is putting on the whole armor of God so that when the evil day comes, we might be able to stand firm. And, and to unpack that language, essentially what he's saying is, is that God has given us everything we need, everything we need to stand when everything goes bad, when, when things go wrong, when, when things aren't as planned, when, when there is suffering, when, there is, when the evil day comes, God has done what was necessary and has given us everything we need to stand firm. But in order for us to stand firm, we need to put on the whole armor of God, which really has more to do with, with um, our identity in Christ than, than protecting ourselves from life. When we launched this series, I gave you guys the illustration of Achilles and Patroclus. Achilles was a great Greek warrior, in fact, the greatest. He was the best warrior that ever hit the battlefield. The problem was he had the temperament of a middle school girl, and every time anyone insulted him, Sorry if that was, um, he, he would just get this little cloud over his head and go pout in his tent and get moody and, um, and, and he didn't care how many people were being slaughtered or how much they were losing the battle. Um, and, and there was one time when it was really critical, the battle was being lost and it was, it was, um, looking really bad for the Greeks. And so his best friend Patroclus came to Achilles and said, Hey man, if you're not going to go out and fight for us, at least let me put on your armor. Let me go out and fight. Now, Patroclus was not a warrior. Uh, that wasn't his thing. Um, he was an armor bearer and he was a, a, a faithful companion. Um, and Achilles is like, all right, dude, whatever. And so Patroclus put on Achilles' armor and it turned the battle. He went out and he, he killed 52 people in a single day. Because when he went out to battle, he didn't just go out in the protection of the armor. He went out in the identity of the armor. He went out in the strength of the armor. And so when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, it's not simply... Uh, how we protect ourselves and defend ourselves. It's about how we move forward in a new identity. The identity of, of who God says we are instead of who, who we say we are. The identity of, of, of um, Christ's work, not ours. And over the course of this series, we've looked at each piece of the armor and talked about how to put them on, right? And so at this point, we're fully outfitted. 
I mean, it's all on, right? If you've been following the series, you know, we, we put on the, the, the belt of truth and, and we put on the breastplate of righteousness and we put on the helmet of salvation and we put on the shoes made of the readiness of the gospel. We, we've taken up the, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? We've hit each one of those and explored each one of those, but we're not ready for the battle yet. There's one critical piece that still needs to be discussed. It's not armor. It's the invisible thread that holds all the armor together. It's the invisible power that gives us the ability to stand in that armor and move forward in that armor. And what I'm talking about is prayer. Prayer is an incredibly critical piece to our ability to stand in the evil day, to stand in the challenges of life. Um, the bottom line of today's message is this, is if you want to stand in the challenges of life, you have to learn how to kneel in prayer. If we're going to be comfortable and firm on our feet, we need to be comfortable and firm on our knees. We need to be a people of prayer if we're going to be a people moving forward in the strength of what God has done for us. So let's take a look at that. Um, I want to look at verses 18 through 20 as Paul wraps up this section. Uh, verse 17, he had just told us, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And then in verse 18, he goes on, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, this is Paul speaking, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, this is a prison epistle. He's in prison as he writes this. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. All right. No armor is associated with prayer. Like he just stops doing the metaphorical thing, right? He could have, right? we're not talking about the whip of prayer or the chariot of prayer or, you know what I'm saying? Like he's just at this point, he's like, all right, I'm done with the metaphor stuff. Time to just talk about prayer. But I want you to realize he's, he, what he's saying, what he's saying, I want you to realize how important this is. He actually gives prayer four times more emphasis than anything else we've discussed up to this point, right? Up to this point, it's like, take up the helmet of salvation. That's all he's got to say. Take up the shield of faith, right? Take up the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here we see him actually um, rhetorically driving home the importance of prayer by spending more time unpacking it. In fact, we see these, these four all statements, right? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He, he is rhetorically driving home the fact that at the end, when you have everything else in place, you can't forget this. You, you can't think that this piece is inconsequential. Because it is absolutely essential to our ability to stand. Life is a spiritual battle, right? It's not just a financial battle. It's not just a relational battle. It's not just a, an educational battle. It is a spiritual battle at its heart. And that's why we need to put on the armor of God, put on our identity in Christ, right? Put on the armor of God. Prayer is the invisible lifeline that keeps us connected to the God of the armor, it is what empowers us to stand in the identity that Christ has given us. So what we're going to do over the course of this message is we're going to unpack these, these four alls and look at what they tell us about prayer. Okay, the first one 
is that we are to pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is, this is the what we are supposed to do. Right? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, he uses three words here that are, that are highly synonymous. In fact, two words are identical. <laughs> pray with all prayer. He's saying the same. It's just like English, all right? There's, there's no special wordplay going on here. He's just pray with all prayer and supplication. He is reinforcing this idea that we are to use every form of communication with God, right? That's what prayer means to communicate or to talk or to plead. Supplication means to ask for, um, to come with requests, to come with needs. He's he's basically saying that, that every form of communication that we use in the human life should be present in our communication and interaction with God, right? So that means that, that everything from from giving thanks to, to talking about what a beautiful day it is to discussing what we should do in making a hard decision to adoration and worship and praise based on, on a response to maybe beauty in nature or to an unexpected blessing in life to coming with requests, you know, from, from man, I, I don't know what to do or this is really hard or I need your intervention or man, I really need your help, right? All of these things are part of our interaction with God, we should pray. Every kind of communication that we're used to should be part of our relationship with God. Right? So that means that, that we're not being called to formalistic, um, stilted forms of prayer. There is, there's a place for formality in prayer. And, I, and I'm never saying, you know, like the, there are times when um, liturgical prayer is very powerful where you just read it off of a page especially when it expresses your heart and you're entering into it, right? But we're talking about something much more than, than just a liturgical approach to God, where we utter these, these formal words in formal combination, right? We're talking about um, regular conversational interaction with God. That's what we're being invited to, and that's what we're being commanded to have. Be basically talking to God like we would talk to anyone else that we need to have communication with. And this communication, our text says, needs to be done in the Spirit. The text says, pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Now, if you come from a, a charismatic background, um, a more charismatic style church, you may have been taught to, every time you see that phrase, pray in the Spirit, to automatically think speaking in tongues. That becomes code word for um, this kind of special mode of prayer um, that is associated with um, being led by the Spirit in a way that, that is kind of radical and unique. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not at all talking about the mode of prayer. He's talking about relationship in prayer. When he says pray in the Spirit, he's not talking about how we pray in the sense of, of how we actually utter the words. He's talking about how we pray in the sense that how we approach God. We are supposed to approach God in the Spirit, in the context of relationship. Because prayer, while it is us talking to God, really is a dialogue. It is a conversation, not simply a monologue, where we show up and, and kind of throw our words up toward this empty heaven and hope there's somebody up there catching them and listening right? It's interactive. It's interactive. And the Spirit is a critical part of that. Take a look at this verse. This is from Romans 8. Romans eight sixteen. We're going to talk a little bit about how the Spirit interacts with us in prayer. And the first is that the Spirit actually speaks to us while we pray. 
Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you pray, you usually come to God with requests, right? I mean, that's usually what prompts us to pray is we feel a need or maybe you're sitting down to a meal and you're like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to give thanks. You know, we have these little triggers that usually cause us to pray. Bedtime, uh, you know, or, or, or whatever it is. But a lot of times when we approach prayer, it's, it's about us basically saying, okay, how do I now talk to God? What you need to realize is that while you're figuring out how you're going to talk to God, God is in that moment talking to you. When we create space to enter into the presence of God, we're also creating space for God to speak to us. And one of the most critical things God tells us in the Spirit is who we are. I told you guys when we were studying earlier, we looked at the temptation of Christ at the beginning of his ministry when when Satan took Christ and, and took him out. Well, the Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and, and the devil met him there and, and basically attacked him with three temptations that, that we kind of walked through. Do you guys remember what, what was the beginning of each of those temptations? Before he began the temptation, each time he had the, this little phrase where he said, if you are the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from this pinnacle. The first thing the enemy attacks about us is our identity. He attacks our security in Christ. He attacks our our identity as children of God, adopted sons and daughters of God. Why? Because he wants us to doubt God and move to self-sufficiency, which is at the heart pride. He wants us to pull away from the very source that empowers us, transforms us, and makes us into holy beings like Jesus. And he wants us to push more deeply into ourselves, our own narcissism, our own pain, our own pride, so that we are more identified by our identity than by Christ's. Why? Because we are powerless in that state. We are easy victims, right? One of the first things that God does when we come to him in prayer is he confirms that we're adopted children. You don't hear his voice. You notice the verse doesn't say there's going to be an audible voice breaking. You know, it's not like when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and there was an audible voice that said, behold, this is my beloved son in whom all of my delight rests, right? That, that doesn't happen to us. I don't think, right? Not, not very often at least, right? But what does happen is the Spirit of God confirms with our spirit that we're children of God. When we come to God in prayer, we open up the door. We create a space to hear from God, right? You think you're coming with requests and the Spirit's like, yeah, that's cool. I'll get to your request. But first, I have something to tell you. I have something you need to hear. It's incredibly, critically important that we pray. Why? Because it's in prayer that we hear God's voice. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. When you show up to pray, God was already there waiting, right? God is not like distracted. You're not sending a message to his voicemail, a text that he'll read later, right? You're entering into the presence of God and he is fully present in that space. That's part of being God. He has the relational capacity to enter into relationship with everyone at the same time without being annoyed or distracted, Without, without, you know, feeling like he is being uh, drained, he is the source of life. And when we enter into his presence, 
We give him the opportunity to speak that life into our lives, to confirm to us that we are his children. So when we pray, what I want you to hear is we're actually coming into a space where we're, 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 we're opening ourselves up to hear the voice of God, right? And as we pray, the Spirit prays with us. He not only speaks to us, but He prays with us. Take a look at this verse. This is Romans 8, 26. It's just a few more verses down in the same context of Romans 8. It says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. <laughs> you probably relate with that. Right? A lot of times, no idea, right? But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I love hanging out with new believers because they haven't learned how to get all the religiously right language. You know what I'm saying? Like, like um, in some churches, in fact, there's like that, that first, for a long time I was in a church where they had like special prayer language. Um, like, like you use specific words, these and thou's. You know, and and um, which always cracked me up because they were not grammatically correct. They never said thine, but that's all right. I'm an English teacher, and I you want gold English? Let's get it right. Um, but here's the deal: I love it when people come with raw language because what they're trying to do is express their heart instead of impress. When we're praying, it's not about us impressing God with the right words or impressing others that we sound right. It's about us expressing ourselves to God. And here's the challenge, you guys. A lot of times we don't even know how to express ourselves because we don't know ourselves well enough. We don't even know what we're supposed to be praying about, or we think we do, but we don't have it right. The beauty is that the Spirit knows. The Spirit knows us better than we know ourselves. He prays on our behalf, right? We're, we're, we're talking, and He's the one straightening it out. We're saying what we think we mean, and he's the one saying what we actually mean. We're asking for what we think we want. He's the one straightening it out so that we're asking for what we really need. We're not praying alone. See, when you pray in the Spirit, what that means is is that you're coming into the presence of God for the purpose of relationship, for communication. And God speaks to you, and the Spirit speaks on your behalf. Even your prayers are straightened out <laughs> so that you are, in fact, moving toward the very thing that you should be moving toward. Tim Keller once, and I love this quote, Tim Keller once said that God gives us exactly what we would ask for if we knew everything God knows. God gives us exactly what we would ask for if we knew everything God knows. A lot of times when we come in prayer, we come with such a pitiful lack of understanding of ourselves and our situations and of the broader movements of God. But God understands it all. And He never uses our requests or our lack of of information, our ignorance, or even our sin to punish or destroy us. He uses it as an opportunity to mold us and change us so that even as we're requesting, we're asking, He intercedes for us and He's also changing us so that we can come to see ourselves and our world, our jobs, the things that we're praying about in a different way, in a way that allows us to pray more in line with the Spirit. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. So I want you to catch this. So when we're talking about praying in the Spirit, this isn't some heightened, super spiritual thing. This isn't something you need to psych yourself up for. Like, man, I really need to psych myself up so I can pray in the Spirit. You know, simply all we're talking about is approaching God with an awareness of your relationship with God, knowing that you're fully accepted by God because of the work of Christ, not your work for Him. 
and that the Spirit of God is going to meet you in that place. It's not some magical formula, right? God is not some distant power source that if you can just get the right words, you can get Him to do the right things, right? Some people teach about prayer as if you could just push the right buttons, you'll be able to unleash the power of God on your behalf. You need to realize the power of God has already been unleashed on your behalf, God has already demonstrated his power on your behalf. He has already given you his best in Christ and will not hold back anything else along with it. We don't come to manipulate God. We don't come to force God. We don't come to trigger some special magic response from God. We come to communicate with God because he is our Abba, our Father. And unlike our earthly fathers, he never grows impatient. He never grows tired. He never gets fed up. He never operates out of a lack of wisdom. So when we come in prayer, he communicates his love to us. He straightens out our requests so we're asking for the right things and leads us to see life in such a way that we're praying more in line with his spirit. Right? We're coming in, in faith. Scripture makes it very clear that, that if our prayers um, are going to be effective, they need to be brought in faith. That's a simple way of saying that if you're going to talk to God, you have to trust God. You ever tried to have a, communi- a conversation with somebody that you didn't trust and they didn't trust you? How'd that go? I mean, you can only go so far. You can reveal certain things, talk about certain things, but there's a lot of places you can't go. Why? Because you don't trust the person you're speaking with. You have to come in trust to the God that you are praying to. And as you come in trust, he'll actually increase your trust. As you come in faith, he will increase your faith because it is a dynamic process. I want you to catch that prayer again is not simply you speaking words to some open, empty space with the hope that someone is hearing. When you pray, you are preparing yourself to come into a dynamic place where God is going to work on you as he works for you. Praying in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's what we're supposed to do. So when are we supposed to do it? That's the next all. It says we are supposed to do this at all times. At all times. Praying in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication at all times. This is pretty challenging. This is pretty challenging. Um, We're most prone to pray when we feel a deep need for prayer. When we're in crisis, right? A lot of you, that's in fact how you, you became followers of Christ, is you entered some crisis in your life and you sensed your deep need for a Savior, for something greater than yourself to step in and deliver you from what was happening. And you were motivated in that moment to pray, right? That old, that old phrase, there are no atheists in the foxholes, right? Why? Because when, when we feel under great stress, we feel our great need, right? And so a lot of times we pray when we're in crisis. It gets a lot harder to pray when we're not in crisis, when everything's going Well, um, it's really hard, even more hard, to pray at all times, right? Paul says that he prays without ceasing, that he has learned the art of turning every thought into a prayer. And the reality is, if I were to ask you guys, how is your prayer life, most of you are going to hang your head and feel a little bit guilty. I know I would. That's a lot of times our response, isn't it? It's like, yeah, I guess I don't pray enough. I don't say enough, you know? So what does it mean for us to pray at all times? How do we do this? right? It's not a guilt thing, 
right? It's a relationship thing. It's, it, God's inviting us again into a conversation, into a dialogue, into a relationship. How do we move more effectively into that space? How do we pray at all times? Well, there's two things I think we need to do. I think we need to create structured times of prayer, and we need to grow in conversational prayer. And I think both are important. We need to grow in structured times of prayer, and we need to grow in conversational prayer. Um, Why both? Because I think, you know, honestly, during this time, most people, I think, more naturally gravitate toward conversational prayer. I'll sit down with somebody and, and we'll be talking about their spiritual life. We'll be talking about challenges in their life and, and struggles they're having. And, and usually there's a couple questions that I lead out with. One is, how are you engaging the Word of God, right? How are you taking up the sword of the Spirit, the Bible? Are you reading? Are you studying? Are you... And the second is, tell me about your prayer life. Well, a lot of times the response I get back is, well, I just, you know, I just kind of pray all the time. You know, me and God, you know, just kind of tight, relaxed. I just pray as I go throughout the day. You know what that really translates to most of the time? Not so much prayer talk as self-talk. It's kind of like trying to have a conversation with your wife while you're playing the Xbox, right? You're playing Call of Duty and you're trying to kill that guy and at the same time have a meaningful conversation with your wife. How does that go? Not real well. You know why? Because you're not giving her any attention. You know what I'm saying? Like you're completely distracted. That's how most of us pray when we talk about, yeah, I just pray all the time. You know what that means? It means we throw random thoughts out into the void at occasional times. That's what we call praying at all times. (laughs) Not real effective. See, I think we need structured time of prayer to teach us how to pray in conversational prayer. A lot of us don't know how to pray in conversational prayer because we've never disciplined ourselves to actually grow in the ability of entering into God's presence and listening to God even as we talk to Him. So I'm going to encourage you to develop structured prayer in addition to conversational prayer. What does that look like for you? I don't know. Figure it out. Look at the rhythms of your life. How can you build in a daily rhythm of prayer? How do you set aside a specific time to actually pray? Like that's what you've devoted. Like it's on your calendar. You've got an appointment for a conversation called prayer, right? What time is going to work most effectively for you? What activity is going to lend itself most effectively, right? normally for me, there are some basic things that are true. I need to minimize distractions. So that means, you know, if I'm um, playing video games or or talking to my kids, that's not a great time for focused prayer, right? I need to be in a spot where where I can focus. And for me, a lot of times that's on the trail when I'm walking, when I'm exercising. Um, The challenge is this. It's not just creating the right space. It's doing it at the right time. I realize that um, the way my brain is wired, it's incredibly important for me to have prayer first thing in the morning. My brain never stops. It's just the way I'm wired. Um, I will go to sleep, and when I wake up in the morning, I will be working out like, (laughs) sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes I'll wake up, and as I'm waking up, there's a thought fully formed in my head, and I'm like, that's the perfect illustration for my sermon. Like, I was working on it all night and didn't even know about it. And I woke up in the morning, it's like, that's it, you know? Bam, there it is. The problem is it's not always wonderful. Sometimes I wake up and I'm already emerged in the stress of the day. Like even before I'm thinking clearly, I'm already thinking about the conversations that are coming. 
I'm thinking about the stress. I'm thinking about the problems that people are going to be bringing to me to help them solve. I'm going to be thinking about the problems that I have that I have no idea how to solve. I'm going to be thinking about finances, or I'm going to be thinking about, I don't know if you can relate with that, but a lot of times, man, I just get up right in the morning and I'm already under the stress of attack. I'm feeling weary even as my feet hit the floor. I'm feeling frayed and and taken in a million directions. It's incredibly important for me to pray first thing in the morning. So how do I do that? Well, I've just created a, a simple routine, right? I know that every morning I take a shower. And so I pray in the shower. That's what I do. And, and um, I have realized that it helps if I actually have a, a specific prayer posture. And for me, it's hands out, palms up. And when I'm in that posture, what I find is that it's much more easy to focus. What do I pray about? <laughs> whatever, right? If in that moment there's a stress that won't go away, I don't feel guilty about it. I don't fight against it. I just pray about it. All right, this is what I'm going to pray about this morning, Lord. This thought won't leave my head. Let, I'm going to pray. Let's talk about it. Let's talk this through, right? If there's a person that is like that I woke up feeling burnt, I'll, I'll pray for that person. If, if there's none of the above, my, my default is just to start giving thanks, Like I'll start listing things that I should be thankful for with the intention that I will in fact start feeling thankful. You know what I'm saying? Like like there's a million things you should be thankful for, but you're not, right? I mean, we know that. And so what I do is, is I will in that moment start giving thanks with the intent that my heart will once again be awakened to gratitude. Because when my heart is awakened to gratitude, I'm once again awakened to the presence of God and his blessing and his grace and how good he is. You see what I'm saying? Like, like those are just things that I do to try and move into that space um, where I can hear from God, right? I've got a buddy who first thing he does every morning is he gets out of bed and he lays face down on the floor for 10 minutes. Not my thing, but that's his, right? He rolls out of bed, thunk face down, doesn't move for 10 minutes. That's how he does it. I don't know what's gonna, how it's going to work for you. Like for some of you, you have little kids, man. You have kids pulling your hair before you're even awake, right? And, 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 and they're drooling on you and you got to get up and feed them. And, and I, I get that. I get that. But you can find space if you're looking for it. Maybe it's when the kids are eating. Maybe it's when they're napping. Maybe it's at night, just before you go to bed. The point is this, that, that it's, it's important. It's important. It's critical. We need to create space for it. And as we create these habits, this is what I want you to hear, is as we create these habits, these rhythms of prayer, we actually learn how to hear God. We actually start learning how to hear from God. I mean, that was, I remember there were key points where, um, like, I'd be out walking on the trail, and I'd feel distracted and pulled in a million directions. I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be praying. It's so hard to focus right now. I didn't even know what to do, so I just started quoting verses, like I'd been reading. And so I'd just start quoting the verses. And I couldn't quote it all because I hadn't memorized it all, but I could quote what I... And then I, there were key times. I, can, I won't explain the whole context, but there were key times where God spoke to me in the very verse I was trying to quote to him. Like, suddenly there was this, like, holy cow. That, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, God, I moved into that space that allowed me to hear from God. He was already speaking. It just allowed me to hear him. Jesus said that a lot. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It doesn't mean, do you have physical ears? The question is, are you listening? (laughs) Creating formal habits of prayer allow us to move into that space of having dialogue with God. Out of that grows conversational prayer. As we develop the ability to hear from God and speak to God and move into that space where we're interacting with God, conversational prayer becomes much more meaningful and powerful, 
right? That's when you're driving along and there's a, there's a moment of joy and you give thanks or there's a moment of concern and you offer a prayer. Or there's a moment of, of anxiety and so you, 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 you lift that up in request or, or you feel tempted. And in that moment of temptation, instead of hiding, you actually run into the presence of God and say, Lord, I'm feeling pretty tempted right now. Even in an act of rebellion, in the midst of the rebellion, running into the presence of God and saying, all right, Lord, I'm sinning. <laughs> Here I am. You're like, Steve, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. You think God doesn't know? Right? When God walked into the garden with Adam and Eve, you think he didn't know they were hiding in the bushes? He knew he was waiting for them to come out and simply be honest about it. We can come into the presence of God even in our rebellion because we're covered with the blood of Christ. I'm telling you guys, this is a powerfully transformative way of approaching God. When we come absolutely confident that He accepts us based on what Christ has done for us instead of what we do for Him, when when we see Him as a loving Father who wants to pour out His love on us, I'm telling you, it changes your heart, and it changes the way you hear from Him. So we need to move into praying at all times. So pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. When? At all times. How are we supposed to do this? Well, we're supposed to do it keeping alert with all perseverance. That's the next all right? Keeping alert with all perseverance. All right, to talk about this, I want to talk to you about Rusty. Rusty is a dog. Why don't you go ahead and cue it up? I'm going to show you guys a video. This is Rusty. Isn't he cute? Look at him running around, enjoying the sun. But Rusty has a problem. Every once in a while, he just falls asleep. (laughs) Rusty is narcoleptic. (laughs) I love that. I was like, anyway, I was prepping last night. I'm like, I'm just going to show it. Um, all right, you can get rid of Rusty. Rusty is the narcoleptic dog, all right? Uh, Rusty just runs through life and suddenly, bam, falls asleep. And I thought, man, what an incredible metaphor for us, right? We're like charging the gates of hell. We are moving across the battlefield. Bam, we're on our face asleep. Oh, this is a nice day. I'm suddenly distracted. I'll enjoy the flowers. Oh, I'll have a dream. You know, it's like, how, how threatened would you be if suddenly this ar- attacking army, they just all fell asleep in the middle of the battlefield? But that's what we do. That's what we do. See, when, when the assault is in our face, we're wide awake. When the evil day is upon us, man, all of our senses are alive. Our deep need for God is right there in our face, and we know it. And we're prone to pray, and we're prone to run into the, the presence of God for grace, and we're prone to lean into community because we need other people around us, right? Everything comes alive in the moment of, of pressure. The danger comes when there's no pressure. Danger comes when everything seems to be going fine. That's when self-sufficiency and pride can come in and simply put us to sleep. We go through a week and we're like, man, I wonder if I prayed this week. I don't know if I did. And you know what? I'm just not that concerned about it. If that's your thought, you're out. (laughs) You are asleep on the battlefield. You are not aware of your need for the presence of God. That's one of the most dangerous places to be because while you're asleep, your enemy is not. While you are asleep, You have become simply desensitized to the presence and the movement of your enemy who is working toward your destruction. And by the time you wake up, you're going to have all of the doubts, all of the flaming arrows of the evil ones stuck in you. And when the crisis comes, you're going to be like, where's God? 
I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if he's even here. I don't know if he even cares about me. I don't know all the things that he, the enemy would love to do to separate us from the presence of the love of God and make us filled with, with uh, um, doubt, pulling back from following God and becoming more self-sufficient. Those things happen to us when we pull away in prayer. We need to be alert. The word for alert here literally means don't sleep. That's the Greek. Stop falling asleep on the battlefield. Not a very good warrior if you're taking a nap out in the middle of the mud, right? Don't fall asleep and, and do it with perseverance. In other words, it's going to be incredibly tempting to go to sleep, right? It's like Jesus on the night of his betrayal. I don't know if you guys remember this story. He's in the garden. He's sweating great drops of blood. Everyone around him's asleep. Three times, he's going back, hey, you guys, wake up. All hell's getting ready to break loose here. All the enemies of God are coming together against us in about an hour. It's going to get ugly. Much pray with me. They're sleeping. He's so filled with the sense of urgency that he's breaking the capillaries in his forehead. What's the difference? One is aware of his great need. The other is not. The temptation for us is as soon as the battle dies down to think that the battle is over. As soon as the struggle passes to become self-sufficient, right? We need to be with perseverance, reminding ourselves that we have both a great danger and a great opportunity and privilege. The great danger, of course, is our enemy who would seek to destroy us. The great privilege is the fact that we've been called children of God, invited into the very presence of God. If that ever grows old to you, you, you need to realize you're asleep. It ever grows old to you that the fact that the God of the universe, the Holy One, the creator of all things, has looked at you and said, I love you, and I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to make you my daughter. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to give you all the privileges of my son, Jesus. You will share his inheritance. Even though you were a rebel, he died in your place so that you could be made a son or a daughter. If that ever gets to be old news to you, You either don't believe it or you are asleep to its wonder. With all perseverance, we need to remind ourselves of both the danger and the privilege so that we are awake to the beauty and the wonder and the audacious nature of the grace of God and awake to the danger because we have a God who's on mission, charging the gates of hell to claim back a creation from a rebellion. And there are enemies who would seek to destroy us in that process in the same way they sought to destroy him with all perseverance. So we're to pray in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We're to pray at all times and we're to pray with an alertness and with a perseverance. And finally, we need to do more than just pray for ourselves. That's the final all. We need to do more than just pray for ourselves. At the the end of this passage, Paul says, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. (laughs) I love that. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me. What he's saying is, yeah, he's not saying don't pray. Stop praying for yourself. That'll never happen. You should pray for yourself. Your concerns, your needs, your fears, right? That's going to, in fact, probably be the predominant nature of your prayer, and that's okay. But in praying for yourself... Don't neglect praying for others. There is a need for us on the battlefield to pray for others that are in battle with us. 
pray for all the saints. All the saints, I mean, it's such biblical language. Pray for the people who are followers of Christ with you. Pray for people who are also in the battle and need your prayer. See, in the same way that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, you get to intercede for them. In the same way prayer moves you more deeply into your relationship with God, it will also move you more deeply into your relationship with community. We live in an incredibly isolated culture, right? We really do. Compared to, to um, that's why like house churches are so difficult in the West. House churches tend to stay incredibly small in the West. You know why? Because we're incredibly uncomfortable opening up our homes to that much traffic. And we're incredibly uncomfortable going into someone's home with that much familiarity. We enjoy being guests and we enjoy having guests, right? But it was Benjamin Franklin that said, guests and fish stink in three days, right? It's like, there's a limit to how much we can do this, right? In, in, in the East, you have multiple generations living in a single home. The home is actually the marketplace. You have a much more free interaction and flow. My whole point behind is this. We've become content with the idea that that's the way life is supposed to be. I have my home. I have my fence. I invite you in sometimes. But at the heart, I stay isolated. At the heart, I stay independent. At the heart, I stay alone. God has called us to community, not isolation. Spirituality is not a personal, private thing. That's not biblical. We are called, as followers of Christ, the body of Christ. That is an intimate interdependent description of the relationships of the people who are followers of Christ. You may be a hand or a foot or an appendix or whatever it is. I don't know, but you're needed by the body. All right. Maybe not an appendix eyeball. All right. But you're needed. There's this sense in which we need one another praying for others. Catch this, you guys praying for others does two things. One, it meets their need because intercession makes a difference. And two, it meets our need because it opens our heart to community. There are tons of examples in Scripture where people pray for people, and it actually makes a difference. Does God already know? Yes. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Does He need me to pray? No. Does He respond to my prayers? Yes. Abraham prayed for um, Lot. So many examples where, where people prayed. And God's like, really? And and you're like, yeah, this is what I'm asking for. You get to enter into the presence of God with the same privilege as Jesus because you're covered with Jesus. His righteousness, his identity covers you as a believer in Christ. You enter the throne room of grace and God wants to listen to you. Because he's your Abba. And like a good father, he delights in you. And when you come with a concern for someone else, you can, in fact, move the heart and the hand of God for that person. Don't don't ask me to explain all the theological ins and outs of that. But that's the way God tells us it works. So is it important that we pray for one another? Absolutely. Who should we pray for? See, this is where we get in danger, too. Sometimes we have these big prayer meetings. I don't know if you're over there, and somebody lists their great aunt's dog right? Which is important because she loves her dog and it's very sad. But you don't know that lady. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, go ahead. I'm not saying don't pray for her. How much more important though is it to pray for the people that you know? 
See, this is why it's important for us to be in community. If you're like, I don't know anybody well enough to pray for them, that's a problem. You should be in community. You should be connected to others. And as you pray for them, you're going to meet their need and God's going to change your heart. He will actually increase your capacity to love others. One of the side effects of sin is that our heart shrivels. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and our capacity to love people shrinks. And pretty soon we feel incredibly self-satisfied, identifying, well, I like you and I don't like you. You matter, you don't. Ignoring the fact that everybody is created in the image of God with the dignity of that image. And as image bearers have a right to our respect and our love. As we learn to pray for others, it increases our capacity to love others, even people we don't like. As you come to pray for people that you don't like, but you should at least love, (laughs) that's a weird tension. They're a follower of Christ, but for whatever reason, you guys pray for that person. You know what's going to end up happening is as you pray for them, God's going to change your heart toward them. doesn't mean they're going to become your best friend, but it does mean you will increase in your capacity to move in genuine love toward them. So we need to pray for others because it's good for them. It's good for our hearts. And we also need to pray specifically that others will be moved on mission. And I love this last piece because when Paul says, pray also for me, he, he, he qualifies it and says exactly what he wants you to pray about. He says, pray also for me that I may be bold in the gospel and that I might find opportunities to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Where was he when he wrote this? In prison right? He, he's sleeping on a stone. He's got a pile of hay that's filled with lice. It's cold. This is not a good setting, but he's not praying, pray for me that I might also be freed. Pray also for me, my life is so hard. Pray also for me because things are so miserable. Paul's heart had been transformed through his prayer to the point where he was more concerned with the mission of God than his comfort. We need to be praying actively that God will advance his mission through us. When you're praying for somebody and you see them in a heartbreaking situation, pray for their comfort, pray for their strength, but pray for more than that. Pray that God will increase their capacity to trust him and move forward in that trust on mission as a result of that suffering. Pray not only in a human-centered way for their good, but in a God-centered way for His glory. Pray that God will advance the gospel through this community, through this church. Pray that Edwardsville and the Metro East might be transformed through the power of the gospel because we are here. Not because we're special, but because He's glorious. We're not just here to build our 401k, to raise our family, to live undisturbed and happy lives. Those aren't bad things, but we are here to be on mission because we are following a missionary God and our prayers can never lose sight that our lives here are temporary, that there is a greater ending than our personal happiness and it is God's glory. Pray that God will give us a deep and powerful sense of community, but a 
deep and powerful sense of that community being on mission to love others in the name and in the power of Christ for the glory of God and for the good of the people being loved. Pray for community and pray for mission. All right, you guys. If we are going to stand, we need to learn how to kneel. If we are going to be able to withstand in the evil day, we need to learn in the calm days how to keep our hearts centered in the presence and on the power of God. We need to be a people of prayer, not just when things go wrong, but at all times.